0: leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The 7 Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. To get your free copy, just send a text to 44222 with the word 7 Habits. That's the number 7 Habits to 44222. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Brian McMahon and he's a serial entrepreneur and investor and his own companies in over 35 countries. He's also the owner of Expert Dojo, who are the fastest growing startup accelerator in Southern California. At Expert Dojo, early stage startups receive investment, success coaching, advice, and special help in all areas of their business and growth. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's interesting. You came through a a referral from a mutual friend, Ryan Folan. Love Ryan. Great guy. Also a California guy. So thank you, Ryan. And I look forward to chatting today. Today, we're going to talk about how startups can find investment capital to help scale their business. But before we do that, let's just do a really, I mean, you, you sound like you have a very interesting background. Give us one or two minutes on kind of the evolution or how you got here, and then we'll dig right in. Great stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm the original gypsy. I've lived in, crikey, probably 45 countries over the last 20 years. I've had four different companies, had a property development company, had a consultancy company, had a tech company, and then had another consultancy company over here. Arrived in LA after living in all these countries and also living in New York and Boston and Cambridge and Dallas and Houston and Austin and San Francisco and a bunch of other places. And I noticed that although this is in Los Angeles, the most vibrant LA startup ecosystem in the world, it also has one of the highest failure rates for entrepreneurship in the world. So I became fascinated by all of that.
0: And that's kind of what led you to start Expert Dojo?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I actually didn't start Expert Dojo as an accelerator. I didn't even start it as a training academy. I started it as a laboratory. And I took a space on top of the Santa Monica Mall, 8,000 square foot, um, invited 100 entrepreneurs to come in, didn't charge them any rent, didn't give them any services, and just told them that myself and a couple of my colleagues wanted to just study them. We just wanted to watch what happened over a six to nine month period without asking for anything in return or really even offering anything in return, um, but studying and watching and learning so we could understand what it was that was causing the 95 or 96 percent failure rate within early stage startups
0: interesting okay great and so I'm sure we're going to dive into some of that today it's really interesting that you just sat in the background and watched and observed and looked at the input and then the results and so that's an interesting way to do I guess basically you were trying to figure out what the market was what the opportunity was and then you kind of fit yourself into that in such a way to based upon what they're where they were lacking or some of their gaps or things of that nature? I mean, that was the goal behind it.
1: Not really. Honestly, I just really wanted to know. I had no intention of starting a, I mean, back in that day, I think I called our organization Pay It Forward Labs. And my, my idea behind it was, look, if I can find out something useful here that would help solve a major problem, then people will want to know that. And it also fascinated me that nobody focuses on this. Like everybody, especially in the service industry, are selling something. Whether we're selling marketing or development or consultancy or help you start a whole new world in your business or scale to the universe, like we're all selling something. And in the media, everybody's just talking about unicorns, whether it's Uber or Airbnb. but Nobody really was focused on the fact that we have the most insane rate of failure probably in the world within our early stage startup community. And I just wanted to understand why.
0: Perfect. Love it. All right. So, and you've had Expert Dojo and how long have you been doing this accelerator? So this was about four years ago. I'll tell you something interesting about those companies.
1: Of the hundred companies, as far as I know, I don't think one single one of them survived. And then they all did other things or started other companies or went to other places, But we did that test and then launched the a a training academy literally twelve months later twelve months after that. And then that morphed into a venture studio where we started working closer with companies. And then about a year and a half ago, we started investing directly into companies. And we now have twenty-seven investments in companies with another twenty-three to come throughout the rest of this year.
0: So is that now is that your capital from previous ventures? Did you raise a fund? Do you have like a do you have a group of investors that just go all go in on this? What does that look like? So
1: I started investing myself, and then my wife got a bit pissed off with that. So I stopped, and I brought in a partner who's a good friend of mine, a big family office who are based over here in Los Angeles. Um, so what happens within most funds is there are LPs and GPs. LPs are limited partners. GPs are general partners. The limited partners normally put in the funds. The general partners then do all the hard work and then try not to mess up. So we are a general partner, or I'm a general partner, and our limited partner then invests money into the individual startups.
0: Gotcha. Perfect. Awesome. Well, listen, today we're going to talk about the oxygen that a lot of you know, new entrepreneurs and startups need, which, which is funding, which is investment, which is capital. But that doesn't, you know, there. it's a very competitive landscape. There's a lot of people out there trying to get startup capital. And yes, there's a lot of startup capital out there if you know where to look. But today you're going to dive into kind of what the landscape looks like and how a startup can go out there and get investment capital, but not only get the investment capital, but how they can use it to scale. So we're going to try to unpack that we don't have a lot of time. And that's a lot of information to try to put out there. So for those of you that are, you know, the, you know you're trying to keep up here, take some notes. You know, you're going to be drinking from a fire hose because Brian knows this stuff inside and out. So would you do us a favor and unpack that for us? What does it need to look like? What do entrepreneurs need to do in order to go out and find capital to grow their business?
1: Yeah, so, so firstly, it's really hard to actually find early stage capital. It's very easy to find later stage capital. Anybody would invest in Lyft, right, six months ago because you know which way Lyft is going, or in Uber or one of the later stage companies. The challenge with an early stage company is you're selling an emotion. Most people haven't built anything yet, or if they are building something, they're only starting to build. So they're selling to the part of the brain in an investor, which is the emotional part of the brain, right? They're not selling to the logical part of the brain yet. So when somebody comes to me at the beginning and they say, hey, Brian, we get, by the way, for the 20 investments that we make out of each fund, we get about two to three thousand applications. So it just gives you a feel and um, for everybody listening as to what you're up against. Now, when those applications come through, we have a kind of a, us personally, most investors will be different, but they will think relatively similar to what I'm going to tell you. We have a three step process. The first step is, we will look at the product fit of the company. So we will look at what problem is that company solving, and we will look at the skill gaps of the entrepreneur, our partners, to be able to actually make that successful. Now those skill gaps might be, if you're starting a tech company, have you done, do you have a CTO, a chief technology officer, and do you have an ability on how to get users through Facebook? Have you done it before? Do you have a very specific milestone plan to help you actually get to the next stage? And then when we've got past that skill gapping area, that's when we're going to look at the ability for the entrepreneur to be able to execute. And this is a really, really important part of it because everybody believes they can execute, but if everybody could execute, there wouldn't be a 95, 96, 97% failure rate. So we look very deeply into probability and probability is really, from my perspective, a statistical analysis based on the people, the product, the process and your proven track record to be able to execute the specific tasks that are required based on the skills that you actually have.
0: Okay and so then, you let, let's correct. unpack that a little bit because you covered a lot there. The first thing you talked about which I don't want to glaze over because I think this is really important which is the product fit. Could you take us down, you know, peel the onion back a little bit further? I mean, what are you looking for when it comes to product fit? Obviously, you know, you hear about you know, talking about disrupting the market and all these unicorns and people like Airbnb and Uber that have been very successful at disrupting the market. Do you need to be someone that disrupts the market or do you just need to have a really good product market fit? Right. So product market fit for me
1: is, you know, do you have a pain? I always love the analogy. Do you have a painkiller or do you have a, a vitamin, right? A vitamin is something that people don't necessarily need. But a painkiller is something that solves a huge problem. You need to take it now because the pain is too strong. So if you can find a painkiller, then the ability to execute is incredibly strong. So, for example, Uber and Lyft were painkillers. And now we may not have thought they were painkillers because we had taxis before. But how often did we take a taxi because maybe we couldn't afford to go from one side of town to the other and pay 50 60 $70?
0: Or it was just inconvenient to go to the phone book or go to the internet and try to find them, right? It was, it was just, you know, one of those things you just didn't, as a side out of mind, you know, it wasn't easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you told me to get a taxi right now, I would have no idea how to get one. I just wouldn't even know where to start. Me neither. Because (laughs) for us, it's, it's normal, right? But the idea itself was so brilliant because the ability to execute was extremely simple because they didn't need to hire lots of drivers. Right, that ability to get to the market was extremely strong. The also the skill set gap was very small because he had it already. Travis had already was already deep in the technology industry. Already had a really good chief technology officer and already had a product which he knew people would use because his value proposition was very simple. He would say to Brian, Brian, you got two choices. Choice number one, take a taxi, go to the airport, pay forty five dollars. Choice number two travel with Jimmy, who's a super cool guy and has been checked out by us and has got five-star ratings from everyone and would probably be nicer than a taxi guy and you can go there for $17.50. Have a think about it for a second. So, like, that's a great product fit because there's not too much friction in the disruption. Even though there's friction with governments, with the consumer, which drives most decisions, there's very very little friction. The same thing when we saw all the scooters on the streets, and I think most of your people can relate to that, they didn't even try with the local governments to try and see if, if they could get any kind of alignment on what their policies were. They just dumped them on the street. The consumers loved them. And then whether it's Bird or Lime or anybody else, they knew that the governments will always follow what their citizens love, even if the government hates it. So yeah, I love to see something where you can see us solving a real problem. It's obviously solving a real problem. It's not just a new signage company which just happens to do signs in red because red is proven to be a specific color that's going to help people. It's something that's very, very new. Right. Um, I also want to just add one extra point in here if I can. Um, people, One of the biggest problems that I see is everybody wants to start a unicorn. Everybody wants a billion dollar company. Look, most of us don't know how to spend a billion dollars. We know how to spend 10 to 15 million dollars and we know how to spend that over our lives if we're very smart. So don't try and build something ginormous at the beginning. Build something where you can see a clear milestone growth to being able to get to a place of self-sustainability. That way you're in control.
0: Yeah. I love your analogy, painkiller versus vitamin. You know, that really kind of hit home. And I hope the audience absorbs that because, you know, sometimes, I mean, that I think that's a, a perfect analogy of getting, you know, the product market fit right. Obviously, there's a lot more to it there's a lot of due diligence there's a lot of you know a lot of testing and a lot of iterating but i really love that analogy okay let's talk a little bit about the the next part that you talked about which was the skill gap right i mean you noticed that when these 2 or 3000 applications come in from people every time you know that you do these rounds of investments that there were some people that just were not didn't have the skill set to execute can you expand on that a little bit what exactly do you look for in those early stage founders in order to really make them stand out from the noise?
1: Yeah, I mean, so normally with an accelerator, same with us, of the 2000 applications, 60% will go into the trash almost immediately for obvious things. So a really obvious skill gap is technology. I've run three service companies and one technology company. I was awesome on the, ter- on the service companies and I was terrible on the technology company. Why? Because my skill set is not human-centric experience. It's not user experience, user interface, technology, and all those things. But I was arrogant enough to think it was. And we'll see a lot of applications from people building the next Tinder, the next Uber, the next Facebook, the next whatever. And you look at their background, and they've never done technology. And then they have this great plan that they're going to get you know, some dude over in India who's going to have his brother and his sister and his five cousins are going to build this app. Are in Poland, are in Croatia or in anything else, and it's not that these developers may not be good developers, it's that you're not a good CEO to be able to direct these developers properly. So it's just a very obvious skill gap. Are someone who has worked in a company for their entire lives and they suddenly think that they can come in and drive a market a digital marketing campaign through influencers and through everything else by saying we're going to hire a local agency. No, you're not because you have no clue what you're doing. A local agency is going to screw you. So most of the skill gaps are very easy. And actually, in some cases, we're trying to save you from yourself because you can end up spending, I've seen people spend millions and millions of their own money in an idea which is really a very, very good idea, but their skill gaps are so wide that there's no way they can achieve it or execute it, should I say.
0: No, I love that because before we hit play here, you know, I shared with you kind of what I see in the market, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I've been an entrepreneur for over 25 years. I've had multiple startups and I've been very fortunate on some of them and not so fortunate on other. And the things that I've seen and learned is that there are a lot of great ideas out there. Lots of great ideas. And I'm sure that a lot of the applications you get have some of their ideas have merit, but the skill gap is so vast that there was no way you'd put your capital or your time into them because the odds of it happening, like you said, the probability is just not there. And I'm a huge believer in execution, right? So I love this idea of assessing the skill gap of what these entrepreneurs, where they are today, and maybe where they can be in six months and what the probability of them succeeding is. I love that approach to it. What else do you want to talk about? What other components to this do do entrepreneurs need to know about before they start going out and seeking investment? Yeah. One extra
1: point into execution, because sometimes skill gap actually just pushes into execution. But one of the areas that I do realize is that entrepreneurs are a very specific breed. That means that we're slightly compulsive, obsessive. We are slightly selfish, and we're slightly over the edge on what we're prepared to do to achieve, what other people normally won't step up to do. So I'm very happy to get up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm very happy to finish at 10 o'clock in the evening. And I truly believe that every single minute of that day, I'm blessed with, because I love what I do. I see like the greatest and most creative companies in the entire world. But most people aren't prepared to do that. Most people will get up at nine or they'll get up at 10 and they'll go to work and they'll turn up and they'll finish at five. And they rightfully want to focus on their families and they rightly want to focus on their spare time and they want to do really good things. And the challenge with entrepreneurship is most successful entrepreneurs will say that the one of the main reasons they were successful is they persevered through the impossible. They were prepared to walk through fires that other people would quite sanely say, I ain't doing this. So it needs to be a very specific mindset to actually get you through the path of that three, four, five, six, seven years of parts of hell that you're going to go through and certainly very high level stress to be able to make it at the other side. So it's mindset is a big, big part of the execution cycle. And then just to finish it off, Unscaling. We want to see that the entrepreneur has got a plan to be able to grow this business beyond being a mom and pop type business to a place where it can become a very, very major business in the future.
0: So, you talked about two things the mindset piece. You know, it's really interesting because you read a lot and you hear a lot in the entrepreneur space about work life balance and all this stuff, right? You hear about these almost like, you know, perfect world situations where you can. You know, only work 40 hours a week and go out and build, you know, a mega company, a multi million dollar or even billion dollar company. And in my experience, that typically doesn't happen. I mean, I remember fondly remember going back to the early days of one of my most recent startups back in 2003. And, you know, my friends would say, Oh, I- I worked 40 hours this week and I was like, listen, I worked 40 hours by Wednesday. And it wasn't that it was a badge of honor. It was just that when I went through my head and I realized I went into the office at six and I got home at eight and all of a sudden, you know, but time just flew because I had a mission and I knew what I why I was there and I was having a lot of fun doing it. And when you see those people that have that mindset, I think they stand out from the crowd, especially in today's age, because, hey, listen you know, a lot of people, you know, have this lottery mentality where they think if you build it, they will come, right? If you, you know, a dollar and a dream, and it doesn't work that way as an entrepreneur.
1: It doesn't. So a couple of points that you brought up there, which I really like, I don't believe in the five hour work week or 10 hour work week or any of those things for an entrepreneur. I believe in the early stages as an entrepreneur, if you're not working 12, 15 hours a day, you're not working enough. And it's just, it's a race. It is a marathon sprint. And that means you have to sprint every single day. You have to get to where you would normally be in 18 months, but you have to get there in six months. You have to get to where you would normally be in six months, but you have to get there in two months. And if there's four hours in the day that you're not using to drive that sprint, then you're missing out on those on that extra time period that you could have actually got to where you need to get to quicker. I think what people have to do is reach a stage and then plan to actually have skill gapping filled by other people, which then allows them to to enjoy what they've actually generated before. It's that whole thing about, you know, we work harder than other people are prepared to, so we can live the way that they'll never be able to in the future, but we have to work harder at the start. And just to reinforce that, I always remember when I was like 13 or 14, and my dad showed me this little article in a newspaper and it says, do you want to make a million dollars with only 25 minutes work? If you want to, Then send a check for $5 through here and I will send you all my secrets. And my dad knew this guy. And the secret was, post an advert in a newspaper saying, if somebody wants to earn a million dollars in 25 minutes, then ask other people to send $5 in, right? There's only working hard. That's all there is. If you don't work hard, your chances of making it are very slim.
0: Yeah. And and the way I look at it is, you know, hey, if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to self-fund your business and you're not going to ask for investment capital... And you want to only work four hours a day, that's fine because it's your capital at risk. It's your loss. But when you start taking outside investment capital, you have a totally different responsibility, right? And so, you know, I love that you, that's a big part of your ingredient, which is the mindset of, you know, having a success mindset. The last thing I want to touch on before we go here is you said a plan to scale. You said it's important to have a plan to scale. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us so that the audience can kind of, Get a little bit better vision of what that means to you.
1: Every company who comes through our program has a milestone plan, and the milestone plan is broken down over an 18 month period because we know that's the danger zone. Once you get past 18 months, your chances of success are much higher, especially if you've hit your milestones. So we want to see people having their right planning it out from the beginning. We want them to have their monthly revenue, user, prospect. And then four activities they're going to focus on that month. And we want numbers by every single one of them. And then at the end of that month, we want them to put their actuals beside those numbers. And then every single investor who's following them can see live what they had planned to do and what they are really doing. We believe in absolute transparency on every level. And actually, you know, whether it's the entrepreneur doing it for an investor or the entrepreneur doing it for themselves, it doesn't matter if you don't milestone your plan out and then you don't measure your plan and then you don't look at your plan. And I won't even say on a monthly basis. We do monthly just so people don't think that we're too insane. I believe in daily and hourly planning where I'm looking at every single day. And if somebody says to me, how is my day? I'll say 72. And if 72 is the number I needed to hit, whether it was activities or prospects or people that we were actually going to bring into the accelerator, then I'm smiling. And if 72 is not the number, then I'm not smiling. So there's no, oh, I had a good day. I had a bad day. Like Who cares about that? We want to know is, did you achieve what you needed to achieve to stay on your milestones to get to a place where your business is sustainable and successful? Yes or no?
0: It's so funny that you mentioned that, you know, that daily measurement towards your milestone, because I remember one of my last startups, I had a logistics company, a third-party logistics company. And, you know, once the company became more mature, I mean, we were doing three or four million bucks a month. And when I would sit down with my team and talk about that month's goal, what, what our target was, our system was set up in such a way that we knew exactly how much revenue we did every day. And it's when you are able to look at That those measurements daily and project, you're able to adjust what's happening or what's not happening or why it's not happening much faster than if you were to look at it even on a weekly or a biweekly or monthly basis. And I think that was a big part of what I attribute to being able to hit those goals and continuously grow. It was like we were micromanaging those milestones.
1: Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So everybody else thinks we're insane, but it's great for us. Yeah.
0: Well, we are insane, but nobody's debating that. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this up. But before we do, two rapid fire questions, and then uh, we're going to wrap it up. What's your favorite growth tool or software? What's a tool or software that you use to help grow your business?
1: So rather than just talk about a specific one, I will mention a specific one, but I'm going to just say the word CRM in general, right? There's a hundred tools that will help you be more efficient during the day, whether it's Monday, whether it's, you know, and there's a hundred tools you can use for your sales and marketing and everything else. But the capturing of the information is the most fundamental basic thing that a company needs to do. And most companies fail in it. We use pipe drive. It's one that we like, um, but that doesn't mean it's any better for other people than Salesforce might be, or that um, uh, Zoho or one of the other ones are, but please make sure every single thing that you do in a day is captured as simply and easily as you possibly can within a CRM system so that you can always find it and react to it in the future in an automated way.
0: Love it. Okay, great. And what's one book that you would recommend by audience or to entrepreneurs that are looking to do a startup? What would be one book that you think would really... Startup Nation. If we
1: can learn everything from Israel, Israel and the way they've developed their their startup ecosystem is off the friggin charts. Um, and Startup Nation is a great reflection of everything they've built and, and how they've built it. So I would suggest anyone who gets a chance to either read Startup Nation or he gets a chance to listen um, to any of the profits over there on, on how to build startup businesses, you learn so much.
0: Love it. Perfect, Brian. Well, listen, I really appreciate you being here today. Before we you know, sign off, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about the business, and then we'll wrap it up for today.
1: Awesome. Accelerator is expertdojo.com. Real simple, E-X-P-E-R-T-D-O-J-O.com. My email is Brian, which is just B-R-I-A-N at expertdojo.com. So that's pretty simple. And yeah, reach
0: out to me anytime. We're always happy to help. Awesome. Listen, I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes. I really appreciate you being here and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Listeners,